0: You to know, we have a sound system back there that you could use a computer out of to fly the space shuttle to the moon. I am not exaggerating, but I tell you what, I heard of a friend of mine years ago that's a Christian that's really into sound stuff, and he said, Every sound system for a church or for use with Christian ministry comes direct from the factory with a demon installed. In fact, when we first got it in and we were hashing everything out, Mike made a comment, and I never heard it before, but he said, it's just like having a banjo in a box, which, okay, I was expecting some laughter on that, some humor, but it's really bad, in other words, trying to figure out how to play a banjo in a box when you have no understanding. The best churches in the world are going to have sound issues, and we're sorry about that this morning, and we'll try to get that worked out for next time. Okay. Okay. It is a high honor to be able to stand in this pulpit. It really is. I appreciate Pastor Mike affording me the opportunity from time to time to do so. And I don't take it lightly. I want you to know that. This is a very serious thing with me. And I appreciate it. So thank you to Pastor Mike and the church for allowing me to do this. Let's go to a Lord and a word of prayer real quick, please. Heavenly Father, I do humbly ask, God, that you would open my heart, you'd open my ears to hear what you have to say. And God, you would remove Chris Mathis from this and just simply use me as a vessel to emphasize the point that you want to make this morning, Lord. God, if you don't anoint this meat sack, and if you don't do it, nothing's going to happen here today but just somebody saying a bunch of words. God, we need you to open up our hearts We need you to break up the fallow ground, and we need you to deposit the truth that you have for us in this, Lord God, to each one of us, me first and foremost. God, I pray that if there's anything of a a religious mindset, Lord God, that it would be set to the side, that we would die to our own wills, Lord God, and live to you in this, and accept your word for what it really is. And God, we know that your word performs its work in those who believe. God, let us be believing and not doubting this morning. Let us accept your word for what it really is, regardless of the vessel that's sharing it, Lord. Lord, we humbly ask all this in the everlasting name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I would love to be able to tell you today that I have some kind of new, profound revelation that was just shot out of the skies right to my heart, and it's like a thunderbolt. I would like to tell you that. Sometimes I have these daydreams when I'm thinking about being a preacher. I'd like to be one of these big, you know, exciting guys you know, on the, on the stage that can just say all the right things, do all the right things, know when to do the, the, you know, the appropriate inflections of their voice just right. But that's not what I have today. In fact, what I'm going to share on today, I think in a lot of ways, is a required reminder of a simple truth, a foundational truth. We as Southern Baptists, as conservatives, get labeled as fundamentalists a lot of times. In fact, sometimes they throw in things like boneheaded fundamentalists. There's a reason we're fundamentalist. There's a reason, because we go back to the fundamentals, and we should, and I think this is one of the most important fundamentals in the entire Christian walk, in the entirety of the Word of God. About two weeks ago, Mike and Pam shared an excellent teaching on their experience over 30 years of marriage. How many was here for that? Did you hear it? Okay, If you didn't hear it and you are married or you are aspiring to be married or to be remarried, you need to watch this. This was great stuff. But nowhere in that did you hear a phrase about what I'm about to say. And if you did hear something like this, there's no way you would hear anything about the success of a marriage after 30 years. There wasn't a scenario like this. They get home from their honeymoon. They come in the door of their abode and Mike says, Okay, Pam, your room is going to be down the hall on the right. I'm up here on the left. I'll see you Sunday and maybe uh, Wednesday night if I can work in a connect group, but the reruns of Game of Thrones are on, so I'm not going to make any promises about that. If that was the extent of their relationship, maybe talking every now and then on Sunday, a little bit on Wednesday night, do you think any marriage is going to last three months, let alone 30 years? It's all built on relationship and communication. And everything that they said when they were sharing on that, it came back to that foundational statement of we work together. It's all about communication. We established early on that we were not going to consider divorce. They had made up their mind. And yet, we are the bride of Christ, are we not? And then sometimes in the process, we look at this whole thing with the Lord that like the entirety of our relationship with him is boiled down a lot of times to maybe Sundays occasionally on Wednesdays when we can make it. Now, I'm not trying to emphasize that we should be in fellowship. We should be, but that's not the point of what I'm sharing today. Our communication with the Lord is paramount. Our fellowship with the Lord is paramount. In fact, the subtitle of what I'm sharing today, the title was Born Again to Abide. And the subtitle is basically, salvation is not the end all. The point when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we accept it in our heart and our spirit is renewed. That's not the end all. A lot of us have it in our mindset. Well, I made that decision when I was nine years old. Praise God. But it doesn't stop there. That's the introduction into the fellowship. When we get up and answer the door and allow Him into our hearts, that's when the fellowship starts. It doesn't end there. A lot of times, as Christians, especially in the modern world, we have a very self-centered, or let me rephrase that, man-centered gospel. We, we, we're proud of our, not proud, that's the wrong choice of words. We are thankful for our salvation. We give praise reports about our salvation. We want others to be saved, but our motivation is, in essence, is we don't want our friends and family to go to that nasty, stinking, rotten hell. And we're thankful we're not going to that nasty stinking right hell. And that's all great stuff. Absolutely. But our motivation, in my humble estimation, should not be what our benefit of it is. It should be that Jesus is worthy. He deserves every soul that submits to Him. He deserves every one of us to crawl up into the eternal Abba Father's lap and spend time with Him and say, Lord, I just need You. Amen. I need You. And if I don't have You, there's no point in going on. I'd like to share with you a text of Scripture from John chapter 15. This is going to be the main thing that we're talking about today. And I tell you what, I I mean this sincerely. If you remember nothing else that I say during these next few minutes, and I promise you I'm going to try to keep it very brief, remember the Scripture references and look them up for yourself. John chapter 15, I'm reading from the New American Standard, starting in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch, everybody say every branch. Every branch. Everybody. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. They gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever it wish and it shall be done for you. Now I want to stress one little thing on that point. It's probably not going to be in the timing you would like. It's probably not going to be exactly in the way that you would like. But if you abide in him, you can ask, this, this book's on the money. You could take this to the spiritual bank. If it says it, you can build the, its bedrock. Right. Again, it might not be the way you want it. It might not be the way you like it, but he's going to come through. I would never, ever attempt to try to convince anybody that you can lose your salvation. wouldn't even begin to say that. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. It's just not. However, if we're in a position where we're not bearing fruit... That is dangerous it's a dangerous place to be in and I'll tell you why because the fruit is the proof of the planting right. if the fruits coming out we know for a fact that the Lord has been on our heart breaking up that foul ground depositing the seed of his word and therefore the fruit and these are just a few preliminary points I want to make before I get to the message I'm not saying you can lose your salvation but I'm telling you if you're not growing fruit you really need to stop and make some examination with the Lord and ask why but at the same time, on the other side of that, don't let the enemy get you in any kind of condemnation and bondage. We used to call it a condo-bondo, a condemnation and bondage trip. Don't let the enemy get you in that about the fruit that's being produced. Have you ever given somebody a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus or offered them a hot dog when they're coming through on the, on the trunk or treat? You ever done anything like that where the motivation was the Lord trying to express himself through you to someone else and show his love? That's fruit. We sometimes get in these ideas, well, I'm not growing a massive vegetable farm on, you know, 700 acres, so therefore I'm not really producing fruit. When God's just saying, why don't you just worry about the planter box or the garden I have planted in your backyard? Why why not just worry about that? Don't let the enemy get you into these. these, It happens to me a lot. Well, you haven't led anybody to the Lord in 20 years, so you're not really producing fruit. Don't let the enemy beat you up over that. Just trust in the Lord. If you are truly His, if you are genuinely the the Lord's, and look at verse three, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Don't let the enemy just get you down in that. If you have truly met business with Him, you've got up and answered that knock and opened the door, and He's come in. You're clean. It's a done deal because of what he said, not because of a religious text either. Now, I love the Bible. I love the printed Bible. This book is supernatural. This is is why the Western civilization, civilization ended up the way that it did, because of the faith that we put in this book. Not this particular one, but you know what I'm saying. The Bible. I love it, but it's not just a religious text that we're talking about. The word clean, if you look at it in the Greek from the Strong's, In fact, I didn't write the number down on that, but you could look it up. That word clean, it implies purified by fire. You are already purified by fire because of the word that I have spoken to you. Cross-reference that, if you will, with Hebrews twelve twenty-nine. Our God is a consuming fire. If you've come to know Him, you're not right with Him because you've read some verses and memorized all that. If you are genuinely His, you are clean because you have met with the presence of the almighty, everlasting King of the cosmos. We have a very small view of the Lord. In Revelation, I think it's chapter 20, I could be wrong on that, but I could look it up and find it. There's going to come a time when all of heaven and all of earth will flee away from him because there will be no place found for him. We have a very small view of God. We don't even think about those things from time to time. And you're going to be pruned, I promise you. Third preliminary point. You're going to be pruned if you're going to walk with the Lord. It's not comfortable. And you know, when I said that earlier, like sometimes I wish, you know, I daydream about being one of those big preachers. If I have to go this route, I don't want to be that because a lot of those preachers don't talk about the pruning. They kind of lead you to believe that if you're not living in absolute 100% blessing and prosperity from the Lord, well, you must be in sin, brother. And nothing could be further from the truth. You are going to be pruned. You are going to be reproved and chastised. In fact, this whole message came out from me having a conversation with a very old friend of mine who's a retired pastor. And he's someone that God has always used to speak truth to me and to reprove me. And we had about a three and a half hour phone conversation. And he had to reprove me. Now, it wasn't about things of like sins of commission or omission. It wasn't like an outright sin. But what he had to reprove me on was more of an attitude issue. My attitude had gotten really stale about my relationship with the Lord where it was stuck into just mere service. And then he recommended this little book, this little bitty book. It's only about that big on John chapter 15 by Andrew Murray called Abide in Christ. You ever get it? In fact, I might have some extra copies of it laying around. If you'd like to borrow it, read this book. And it's not something you could just blast through in an hour Read a couple of sentences of it every day. Use it as almost like a devotion. Because every sentence in this is just full of truth and principle from the Word. It's an amazing book. But it all comes back to John chapter 15. You're already clean because of the Word that He has said. And you'll be reproved. You'll be chastised. You'll be challenged. In fact, let me, if I can, let me take a moment and share a recent chastisement with you that I personally had. About three weeks ago yesterday... We were working in the shed outside. In fact, we have this little garage under our house, but it was made in the 1940s and there's no way you could fit a car in this. In fact, I don't even know if you could fit a side-by-side in this thing. So I kind of consider it to be my shop. Now, those of you who know me good or know me well, some people have said that I have OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. I don't believe that's the case. If I have anything, I believe I have CDO. It's very similar to OCD, but it's in alphabetical order as it should be. (laughs) And let me refresh this. I do have it probably, but I don't think I have any OCD that the United States Marine Corps did not issue to me. But I want things in a certain way. When you're done with a tool, put it up. I tell the boys all the time, you're done with this toy, put it up where it goes so we're not tripping over it. I have never been at sea. Do I have any sailors in here? Any sailors? I promise you we'll pray for you guys, okay? Uh, it's a little humor. But you got how many of you have been to sea if you're a sailor? You've been on board a ship. I'm meeting more and more sailors in this day and age that never had to go to sea. Well, you know, the Marines go right with them a lot of the time. I was never at sea, but I know enough about it to say this. You don't leave anything just left laying around adrift. It can make the difference between life or death. And I had this hardcore wired into me when I was in the service. Get it put away. Now, I could probably be a tad excessive about it from time to time. In fact, last night we were doing this, Victor was back in the sound booth and he's going, oh yeah, oh yeah. I want things put back where they go. I have to have things organized and if they're not, I get really stressed out about it. We're cleaning this up. Stuff wasn't getting put back. I was tripping over stuff in the shed to get to what I need to do and I tell you, I was mad. I was taking stuff and throwing it. We have this little metal tricycle that." It was on the edge of the road free that somebody was giving away, and Rusty picked it up for Amy's niece, McKenna. We've had it for about a year now. McKenna's never looked at it, never said it, never anything. And I despise this piece of junk with every fiber of my being. Okay, I really don't. But the point is, it was in my way, and I'm throwing it like this, and then there's a lawnmower, and I rip it out of the shed, and I'm going around. And as I do, I trip over the lawnmower... I land right on my knee, and I busted up pretty good, smash it, cut it, ripped my jeans over, and did a complete, I don't know if it was a somersault or what you would call it. It was definitely not intentional, but it happened, and I ended up on my feet in our fire pit. And the whole time while I was on the ground, the Lord was saying, I'm spanking you, son. No, I'm dead serious. It's funny, but at the same time, it's the truth. You had no business getting that upset with them. They can't always live up to your expectations, and you need to chill it out. The Lord is going to chastise you if you're His. But again, that's proof of Him loving you. He's going to take you to the woodshed. And I tell you what, if you're, if you're in the church and you have not accepted that, I'm telling you, you are not going to grow any in the Lord if you don't accept it. Is that sometimes it's not the enemy coming against you and sometimes it's not circumstance. Sometimes it's the Lord rattling your cage saying, look, you need to wake up, son. The motivation is love. One more preliminary point, and then I'm going to move on, where it says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. I personally think that that is one of the biggest reasons why people do not come to the Lord in this day and age, or ever. Apart from me, no one wants to hear that, especially men. There's real men that go to this church, and I want you to know, real men respect real men. You know, if you have a son, don't te- you know, teach him to shake a man's hand correct. You know what I'm saying? Not one of these little, uh, do it right. You, you men know what I'm saying. I mean, you don't want to crush somebody's hand, but I'm it makes a difference when you're shaking somebody's hand correctly. It says a lot to the other man if you have some kind of limperous little, it does. Real men respect real men. And we have men in this church. But a man usually as a rule does not want to be told, you can do nothing apart from me. There are many things that if we're going to walk with the Lord, we have to submit to. And that's one of them. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now with me, the Lord says, you can run against a troop. You can leap over a wall. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, now to the main point. As Bible-believing Baptists, we often say that we do not practice a religion and that that is accurate. This is not a religion. True Christianity is a relationship with Almighty God. Is it not? In fact, radical Christians that I've met over the course of my life, they don't like to be labeled with that, and they will even debate with somebody if they say, Oh, you're you're really religious. How many times you've heard somebody how many times have you said it yourself? I'm not religious. I know I'm in a personal relationship with Jesus. It's true. But sometimes we get so run down in the mundane in the ministry, and this friend of mine that I was telling you about, he shared with me many times, and it's a fact ministry can oftentimes be the enemy of the master. You get so caught up in what you're doing, you're more concerned about doing those things that you don't stop to just, just love Him. I serve the living God. I'm not in a religion. I serve the living God. But a lot of times, it's, we don't mean for it to happen. I don't think it's an outright intentional thing, but it becomes more of a focus of I serve rather than the living God. I'm not trying to give you any kind of excuse to get out of service, by the way, today. In fact, the church has often said, and it's a fact, that serving in the church is like watching a high school football game or a college football game. There's 22 people on the field in desperate need of rest, and there's 2,200 people in the stands in desperate need of exercise. Have you heard that before? It's a fact. I'm telling you, if you have any kind of thought in your head or heart, well, maybe I should be working with the church or helping out, that's God. And you need to do it because we need to many hands make a load light. It's fact. Many hands make a load light. In verse 5 of that chapter, he says this I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me. Now, today I said all that was preliminary because I believed it was important to cover, but that's not the main point. I'm to the main point now, and I promise you it's going to be a lot, we're, we're rolling on to the end real fast. I don't want to focus on the fruit today. I don't want to focus on us being branches and him being the vine, although that's absolutely a fact. I want to focus on the word "abide," to abide. Abide comes from the Greek word in Strong's Greek thirty-three zero six, meno. Meno is how you pronounce that. That means these things: to continue, to dwell, to live in, endure, be present, remain, stand here's a good old King James word for you, tarry. That's one of those words from the King James I wish we still used a lot, tarry. That's just a great word. To sojourn, not depart. And if we rearrange that passage a little bit, we could say it like this. Continue in Jesus. Dwell in Jesus. Abide means to endure with Jesus. To don't leave his presence. Stay right there. You can do everything that you need to do and still be in his presence all the time. One of the greatest points of my young Christian walk was the revelation. It was at the West Vienna four-way. I don't know if I've ever shared that with you guys before, and I'm not going to go chase a rabbit on this, but there's a little four-way down in West Viana where I know I've had about seven absolute life-changing encounters with a living God driving right through there. wasn't in a church wasn't fasting for 20 days or anything like that, was just at that West Viana four-way where the Lord just spoke to me and He gave me this thought, Son, you can think about me all the time. You can let your mind dwell on me no matter what you're doing. Just think about me. Think with me. Continue it. And I'm telling you, as a young Christian, that changed my life. And I really earnestly believe down in my, in my very essence of my being, I believe that what I'm about to tell you is true, that the Holy Spirit says to each one of us all the time, Continue in me. I know you got to do this over here. I want you to do i am commanding you to do that, but do it with me. Right. Don't leave me out of it. It starts with abiding. I got some after last night I got some really encouraging statements about what I shared, but Pastor Mike this morning sent me some text and I want to read this to you because he did his devotion this morning out of John chapter 15, and that's why he's sharing with me. And he came across this. I, I wrote this down from his text. Abiding or to abide is falling in love with him. If you stay with someone long enough, you begin to act, think, like them, and you know what they're going to say. I'm going to tell you, there's certain things, especially when she's upset, I know exactly what Amy Mathis is getting ready to say. How many, kids, how many of you know what I'm saying? Your husbands out there, you know exactly what I'm saying. You can tell by the look in their face, and you know what's even worse is when she doesn't say anything. But I know her facial expression says everything that needs to be said about that. You get to act and think like you know what they're going to say, and that's no different when we're, when we're living with the Lord, in this relationship with the Lord. I'm telling you, we get to the point where we know what He's going to tell us. We might not listen to it, we certainly might not like it, but we know what He's telling us. We do know. That's why that connect group we had a little bit ago about the 10-second rule, that was amazing. Oh, Lord, give me greater grace that I could live up to that that when I know He's telling me to do something, to do it within 10 seconds. I guarantee you, I said it there in that Connect group that night. We were sharing that if I could live like that, I guarantee you I would lose 40 pounds safely in about six months. Just a fact. And then going on, what Mike shared with the fruit about that is that he thinks that the first and most important fruit in all of that, if you get down to verse 12, to love one another... And then he shared with him, and I, di- I didn't see it before, that what I'm talking about today really, in essence, represents the church's maxim. Our motto, which is love God. love God, love people, and try to be like Jesus. It all starts with abiding. We're born again to abide. That's not the end thing. That's the introduction. Okay, I'm getting lost. Bear with me here. I'm almost done, I promise. We need to live to cultivate a lifestyle with Christ that chooses to sit at His feet and listen to His word, choosing the better part, as Mary did. I'm going to read this quick. But I didn't have it on the overhead, but I'm going to read this chapter Luke, or excuse me, in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, and entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home, and she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was Listening to the Lord's word seated at His feet, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She was distracted by spending a half a day getting the drum sound set up, so it's just downright, or changing the strings, or buying the next Les Paul, or cooking in the kitchen, okay, or helping with the coffee stand. Distracted by all these preparations, and there's nothing wrong with the preparations. They're necessary. We're commanded to do it. But we can so easily get down to where that is our relationship with the Lord is just the service. Where the work of ministry is becoming his enemy. And we got to get back to the fundamentals of Lord, I gotta have you. How, now, at one time I was a paramedic several years ago, and philosophies on this may have changed. But at the time they always told us, and I tell you what, when the adrenaline's pumping and blood's everywhere, okay? and you don't know exactly what to do, it happens. I want you to know what happens. It's not like on the TV shows, okay? Not every time anyways. But you're, what am I gonna do? And you forget a procedure. They always used to tell us if you get lost in what you're doing, go back to the ABCs. Go back to checking the airway. Check the breathing, circulation. Now you can't stay on just the airway. You gotta eventually move. If they've got an arterial bleed, eventually you gotta do something about that, okay? But if you're not sure what to do or if you're in a rut, what do I do next? Go back to the ABCs. And the ABCs or the Lord are just abide. Just be with him. Just be with him. And she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. We need to do all these things that God has called us to do. But not at the sake, not for throwing out the point of just sitting at his feet and listening to his word. And I'm not even for a minute saying you've got to read five chapters every morning and three devotions and spend an hour in prayer. Just take a few moments every day to say, Lord, I need you. I need to connect with you. I think He desires and longs for that more than anything else that we could do Him, do for Him or with Him, because we need to become people of His presence and not just for His provision and not just His performance. You can't out-give God. I heard that a long time ago, and it's said several times in the church, but it's true. I heard this friend tell me when I was a pastor years ago, preach this message, seek the giver and not the gift. You cannot be seeking the giver and him not reward you and not give. But you know what he wants to give more than anything? is more of himself. We want stuff. The stuff will come. You know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What does the word all mean? If you translate it from the Greek, all these things will be added unto you. seems to me I read that somewhere. Seek him first. He'll give you more of himself and in the process the gift will come. Pastor Mike shared last week, and I don't want to get too much into this about the communion message, but that communion message just, it shook me to my core on some things. Because we can get real religious about communion. Let's leave the junk aside, because he died on a cross to take that junk. But he shared a verse that to me was a confirmation about what I need to share on this week. Luke 22:15, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer earnestly desire to be with you one more word about communion as often as you do this do this in remembrance of me not just what he's done not just what he's done for us who he is do this in remembrance of me because he's worthy you know there's nothing that jesus absolutely had to do to be righteous do you understand that had he called 10 legions of angels down instead of going onto the cross and instantly sentenced us to eternal damnation, he would still be ultimately righteous. He is righteousness. We only become righteous because through his sacrifice in faith, we appropriate that righteousness. There's nothing he has to do to be better. Preachers of the Word, we're often, you know, we have this drilled in our head, and we should be. In fact, a lot of them in this day and age are getting away from it. But there's a right way to interpret the Word of God. Now, don't get into condemnation and bondage thing about that either. If you're not sure what to do with the Bible, just read. Just get in there, and the Lord will help you sort the stuff out. But if we're preparing a message, there's a lot of things that goes in should go into it. And I'm going to share with you two $75 theological words that you never have to know again, but they're very important. First word is exegesis, and the next one is hermeneutics. Now, I have a list of words that I don't like. I do. This is one of them. It's not phonetically pre- pleasant, it's just not. Hermeneutics, that sounds like almost something you'd have to go see Dr. Kirkpatrick for and get an antibiotic script. I'm just saying, it, it's, that's weird. But what hermeneutics is is the branch of knowledge that deals with interpretation, especially of the Bible, rightly dividing the Word of God. Now, I'm saying all this to set something up. I promise you I'm going to land this one. Bear with me. There's a lot of things that go into appropriate interpretation. For example, you want to take the passage of Scripture in its entire context. Entire negative movements of the Word of God or churches have been born out of taking a passage of Scripture out of context. You need to understand certain things about the peculiarities of the culture of the time that it was written in. You need to look at the original languages. The Bible was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. You just don't go with what the English I mean, there's great English translations out there, but you have to understand a little bit about what it was originally re- read in. Even biblical geography can help with appropriate interpretation sometimes. Micah said it several times, and it's a fact. You let the Bible interpret the Bible. That's the first place to start. If you have a question about something in the Word, pray and ask God to show you more of it and keep reading. There's one, I won't get into what it was, that there's a question I had with the Lord about a passage of Scripture in the Bible that it was 15 years before I saw it. And I guarantee if I were to share with you what it is, every one of you would have said, what kind of dunce are you that you didn't see it? Because the answer was like the next two verses, but I never saw it. The Bible will answer itself if you have questions with it. I said all that, like I said, to say this. You don't want to take a single word and try to make a doctrinal point out of it. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will magnify a word in your heart and mind. can lift you out of everything. Because that's the main point. It's not the written word. It is the written word, but it's the Holy Spirit that gives life to the written word and makes it come alive in your heart and life. In fact, the letter kills. If you just go on the Bible itself without connecting with the Holy Spirit... This will kill your soul. You have to have the love of the Holy Spirit breaking it and guiding it to you. Now, I need to ask a couple of questions before I share this last verse, and then we're done, I promise. Can we all agree that discipleship just didn't end with the original 12? Can we agree with that? Can we agree that he is still desiring disciples right now today? Is that a correct statement? In fact, his last command to us before he ascended into heaven was what? Go therefore into all the nations and make what? Disciples. Not just converts, right? Disciples. Followers and learners. So I think we could safely say he's still wanting disciples. Can we agree that if the word is real, which it is, that we have a great commission commanded by him to make disciples? We can agree on that, correct? Okay. Okay then I want to share this next verse. When it's going to seem it's a contradiction to what I said about taking a word out of context or using one word to make a doctrinal statement. And I'm telling you, this is a verse that we blast over all the time and we pay no attention to it. But a few years ago, the Holy Spirit said, pay attention to that, boom. And I tell you what, it just transformed the entire outlook. It's Mark 3, 14. And he appointed 12 so they would be with him. Now, I I did the PowerPoint, and I really did a terrible job of putting this together. It's in green. You can't really see it, but what it says in that green highlight is with Him. And He appointed twelve so that they would be with Him and that He could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. It starts with a be with Him. He chose them to be with Him, to abide with Him, to continue with Him. And then we'll go do the ministry. And you might think, well, come on, that was just for them at that time. See, to me, there's other places in the Bible where I've heard stuff like, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Which, by the way, every English translation I have about in my, my computer program that I use, I have about 20 really good, credible Bible translations. Every single one of them said the same thing on this. I have an interlinear study Bible that will show... The English and it'll show you the, the the corresponding Greek or Hebrew words right about it. And guess what? That verse was right like that, just in the original language. Even though, yeah, you know, I don't want to know from that. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and so that he could send them out to preach. We need to be people of his presence and not just his provision. And that relationship needs to grow and flow all the more, all the time. You only know a person by the amount of time you spend with them. You don't just send them down the hall to stay in their room and meet them on Sunday. Where you really grow in fellowship is at the dinner table and the cleaning out the shed when they don't put things back the way you want them. That's where the relationship grows. Elvis Presley, one of my heroes in life, he really is, I love Elvis. But he had a song and I'm pretty sure it was for the movie Blue Hawaii. Any of you remember that movie? Great movie. One of my mom's favorite movies, but and I can't pronounce the name of the song correctly. But it's something along the lines of "Ku'iwi Po." Do you remember that, Mr. Schaefer? You'll know the song even if you don't know the title. It goes like this: I love you more today, more today than yesterday, and I love you less today. Less than I will tomorrow. I think right there, even though that was a secular song about a love relationship between a man and a woman, is one of the greatest gospel songs that's ever been written. And I think that's what the relationship's supposed to be about. I could be wrong. If I am, show me from this. It's not just a dead religion, it's not words on the page. The Almighty, ever living, ever loving King of the cosmos wants a personal relationship with every human. There's a verse in Proverbs. I can't show I could look it up if you really want to know, but it says this. Uh, basically, we have heat and a fire to refine silver and gold. But the Lord tests hearts. Do you understand what he's saying there? That's what he treasures. He thinks so little of gold, he paves the streets with it in glory. But what he treasures, what excites him, what really gets him going, what he's after, makes his heart do like this? Human hearts. Human souls. It can be a lifeless relationship if you want. Or, or it can be a mad, passionate love affair with the eternal bridegroom how we picture it to be let's set our minds on him and keep our minds on him and just choose to be with him heavenly father i thank you and praise you for this time and i humbly ask that your word would be what sticks out in this and the truth of being in relationship with you lord god i humbly ask that you would get rid of the distractions in my heart and life more so so i could just be sit at your feet and listen to your word And God, not use it as an excuse for laziness to not go on and serve, but to serve in the process or or to love you first and abide with you and let the serving come out of that. Lord, give us grace. Every Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're almost done, I assure you. But if you're sitting here today and the Lord has pulled on your heartstrings and said, You need to be spending more time with me. Not in a religious context, not just on Sunday mornings, not just on Wednesday night at Connect Group. You need to just get alone and spend time with me and sit at my feet and listen to my word. If that's you and the Holy Spirit's telling you to do, I'm going to ask us, let's make a commitment to Him that we're going to do everything we can to live like Jesus, to be like Him, and we're just going to start with simple steps by saying, Lord, I'm going to spend a few minutes with you every day just alone with you. And let me tell you something about this. Not to get off the prayer and to preach again, but one more point. This is a fact of the Christian walk. You will never be allowed the time to spend with the Lord. Circumstances won't let it. The enemy won't let it. You have to make time to spend with the Lord. And in this day and age, with everything, the technology we have, there's no excuse not to. If that's you and the Holy Spirit's telling you I need to spend some more time with the Lord... Let's make a commitment. If that's you, raise your hand so we can pray about it. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. And I do ask that you would make this commitment real in it, in us and stir us up to be continually mindful just to set our minds on you. And I'm going to say one more thing, but I'll hand it over to Pastor Mike. If you haven't made that relationship commitment with the Lord to begin with, don't put it off another day. Come talk to Mike or me or somebody before you leave this building today.